it's so much fun. It really is. It's, it's incredible watching how a whole company of young people just operate and get done. And we couldn't be happier being with John Boy Media. Put the fucking mic on. How we doing, folks? It's your boy, DP Barstool Sports Starting Nine, and you are listening to the end of the bench. Scoot your ass down. Today's guest, we have a digital reporter and host for the New York Yankees. He is the podcast host for Towing the Slab with David Cohen on the John Boy Network, and he covers boxing all around the boxing world. It is Justin Shackle. Justin, thanks for coming on, dude. It's finally nice to actually see your face and not talk over clubhouse over the phone or through text yeah i feel like you only existed through speakerphone taylor uh good to see you man <laughs> good to see you too man i know and that's how we that's how we met i had this i still have the club on clubhouse called mlb on ch and we had a ton of people ton of people coming in and i saw you and saw your bio i'm like all right we got to have this guy talking yankees with us and we've become friends ever since we you know i've known you for about a year now yeah um i'm i'm hoping that when the baseball season gets rolling again. We still have those clubhouse chats. They were fun. They got me through the, the my, my mornings, my baseball morning, so to speak. It was just a good place to go and chat with fans and have that type of forum just to see what was on their minds and what, what was the big topic of conversation. A lot of fun throughout the uh, 2021 season. Yeah, and that was just right after the the, the freaking COVID season. And, yeah. You know, I, I saw Clubhouse's opportunity to more like networking. And then mm-hmm. I wanted to talk baseball on it or just talk sports in general, which I do on a not as much as I used to, but I still do it from time to time. But um, having you in there was such a big deal because you are with the Yankees and you work with the Yankees and having your name in there as a guy. You know, we had a Rangers guy, we have a Yankees guy, we have a Mets person, and they all come in giving us information. It takes, it puts some like legitimate, you know, backing on the club. But with your position at the, with the Yankees as a digital reporter and host, how did you start all that? And I know when you started with the Yankees, you met a guy that now is one of your good friends who was just on my podcast not too long ago and Ryan Rucco. So talk about Rucco and your relationship and how you started with the Yankees early on in your career. Really quick before I get into that, just to backtrack on the clubhouse aspect, Taylor, you guys did a great job, not only building it up, but eventually, you know, you had player agents on board. You have Jeff Bannister, a former big league manager on board. You had players and, and, and people who are in, inner more inner circles than i'll ever be in so i can't wait for that for that regular season to start again and hopefully we you know we get that ramped back up but yeah actually ryan and i we go back to college um i've known ryan since i was 19 years old he was a grade above me we both attended fordham university we both went through fordham's radio station i want to call it a program so to speak and but more realistically like i look at WFUV radio at Fordham University as my college education. I can't tell you too much of what happened inside my Fordham classrooms in terms of information that I've retained. I know everything that I've taken from my work at the radio station and what has helped me throughout my professional life. So I spent more time in that radio station with people like Ryan than I probably did in my dorm room or my, you know, my off-campus apartment. So our friendship grew uh, at WFUV radio, because 
it was like a work study, so to speak. And in the sports department, there were probably 25 students or so. And you could see these, these levels of participation. So maybe out of the 25 kids, you would have 10 who just treat it as an extracurricular hobby. And that's fine. Oh, interesting. Obviously. Yeah. You, know, you go, you go to your work, but there's a life for you outside where you're going to class and you're doing other things. Maybe there's 10 others who are a little bit more involved than that, but yet it's not their life, so to speak. And then you have those five kids, maybe the three to five kids who eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. Cause they know this is what they want to do when they get out of college and they're involved in all aspects of the radio station, whether it's anchoring sports reports on the radio, hosting a talk show on the radio, calling the Fordham athletic events, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, softball, going out into the city, covering the professional teams as a credentialed media member. I did as much as possible. Ryan did as much as possible. And when I think back on that, those three to five kids that were kind of within that circle, uh, I'm lifelong friends with them. So that's where Ryan and I's friendship kind of started. And there was never any type of competitive nature among any of us because we realized that when we get out of here, when good things happen to one person, they happen to all of us. And that's why I feel like the start of my friendship with my lifelong friends, I think that's so rare because I hear so many other people come from other schools and it is very competitive and kind of cutthroat. And look, the business is cutthroat, but yeah, I know that, got that right. you know, a place like Fordham University, there's, you know, Fordham hat right there. I know a place like that, none of that existed. And I will always have that in the back of my head. And I think that's what kind of shapes, um, the person who I am, at least that's how I like to think about it. But we were taught from the very beginning, you see these people who are among you know, uh, you know, know that they're going to be with you for the long haul. And when good things happen to them, good things happen to you. And it's proven true. That is, like you said, so rare when it comes to starting off super young. And let's be honest here, everyone watching this, you look like you're 25 right now. I have no idea how old you are, but you still look super on. How old are you right now? I just turned 35. So I yeah. appreciate you, man. Yeah, you look, <laughs> you look super young. And yeah. I was I was looking at footage today and I was like, if he started at 19 with Ruko, how old is he right now? I know that's a really sensitive topic to a lot of people, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I needed to say it. But anyway... You know, the relationship, when you start out in the business, you kind of want to keep those relationships going with the younger crew, yep. because when you turn 35, you want to see where the both of you or your group of friends go. And mm -hmm. I've personally had situations where, you know, friends have started out together and then, you know, one quits or one goes this direction, doesn't really talk anymore, whatever. And it comes to this trickle down effect. And I do, I still have a lot of friends that are in the business that are, we started as interns at this one place and look at us now. I think it's so cool that you and Ryan, when the both of you guys already have this awesome career and you're at this high of uh, point in, in your journalistic or broadcasting career, it, it's an inspiration for younger people when going to Fordham or other journalism schools or just any school in general. 
trying to get in this business, it's not all about being competitive. There could be some positive competitive nature where you want to, if your buddy's doing great, shit, I have to just, just be just as good as he is. And you kind of keep it at that same level. And it puts everything into perspective that you can't slow down and you got to work just as hard as the next person. You hit the nail right on the head there because naturally, like when I was, when I was in college with Ryan, especially, you know, Ryan was a year ahead of me. Uh, Dan Duva is a guy that was part of our, our group as well. Dan's the voice of the Vegas Golden Knights on the radio. Um, there were other really talented kids that have gone on to do things in the professional world, but I didn't get the top assignments as a play-by-play guy at Fordham until those guys graduated um, naturally, right? Like, I mean, Ryan's a one in a million talent. Dan is an, an incredible talent at play-by-play. Um, they kind of served as that carrot on the string. And, and again, it wasn't a cutthroat competitive approach. It was, man, I want to be where they're at. They would help me because they realized that they would push me. Ryan would push me in my preparation. Dan would push me in my, my preparation. And I wanted to be where they were by watching them. I knew the kind of workload that I needed to put in to reap those benefits. And, and yeah, honestly, go kick the I'm sorry. Continue. No, I was going to say it still rings true every now and then in a professional sense. Obviously, at this point, you know, I'm more than 10 years out of college. I know what I need to do to set myself up for success. But you always have those people who are a little older than you kind of giving you a better idea of how you can do more and what what else needs to have some work put into it. And that's where it continues to, to really ring true. Yeah. And, and when you have these, your former college, you know, friends or considered still friends now being at this such high plateau, you, it's, it's, I think it's such a cool story that the guy, you guys started at 18, 19 years old. And now you can look down the road and you've had this, I looked at your LinkedIn. You have like 20 different jobs that you've had since you graduated college. And I had to write down, you know, I got my notes just, just in case, <laughs> you know, just to kind of keep oh, myself. In dude, come on. I, I pride myself on keeping my resume to one single page and you have two pages. I, the, the font's a little big, font's <laughs> a little big so I can actually read it. But what I want to really get into here is the, is the jobs that you have now that you are consistently doing. And okay. we'll start off with the Yankees as a uh, host and digital host reporter for the Yankees. You were seen on the scoreboard and you're also seen on yes. What do you like doing more? Because I remember going to Yankee games and I would see like, oh, who's that guy on the field? I didn't know who you were beforehand, but like, you know. Good looking guy, dressed nice on the field, his face on the scoreboard all the time. That is freaking cool. And then I see you on yes from time to time, filling in for, I think it's Meredith, right? Meredith mm-hmm. Brockovitz, right? So what is more of your goal with the Yankees? Is it continue to do scoreboarding stuff? Or do you want to take a role like what Meredith does on a consistent basis? I want to be involved in covering baseball at the highest level on a day-to-day basis. I love the grind of the day-to-day lifestyle the schedule you know yeah recently in in recent years and maybe like the last five six years you see a lot of 
you know, a lot of teams, a lot of TV stations, a lot of radio networks, they're giving broadcasters more time off and they're kind of requiring you to take maybe 20, 25 games off per season. And internally I'm like, man, I hate that. I, I wouldn't, if I'm in the luck and you know, I'm in a fortunate enough position to be able to cover a team on a day-to-day basis for 162 games, I want 162. I cut my teeth in the minors. I would call 140 games straight, be with the team every single day. And I freaking loved it. And I'm yearning to get to that level uh, in the majors. So obviously I would love to do it at a, you know, with a, with an organization like the Yankees, it's the team I grew up watching and grew up rooting for. And it's probably the place I feel most comfortable in, but Hey, I'm, I feel like just like a player right now in in the position I'm in, there are 29 other teams that I would crab walk to, to have that type of opportunity. I'm really grateful and thankful for what I'm doing here in the present. And I stay in the present, but if you're telling me what my reach for the stars goal is, is to cover the game on a daily basis, be with the team on a daily basis, whether it's at a local level or a national level and whether it's Seattle, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, or Hey, where I grew up in New York, I'm all for it. doesn't matter. Yeah. I think it's such a cool story for you personally, though, from Fordham to now been covering all these sports and majority of your jobs. If you can correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of them are local jobs. If it's serious, if it's, you know, WFAN, CBS network, uh, CBS sports yeah. radio here in the city here where I work. Um, but when it comes to working for the Yankees for so long, you've interviewed just about everybody. Who is you've done, you know, old timers day. You've done regular season games, postseason. I love the interview with you and judge. That was a great interview, but what is something that who's a guy that you've interviewed that is locked in your mind all the time that like, Holy crap. I just interviewed so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, it's probably an interview that no one's ever really seen because it happened on the radio and it happened when I was at Fordham university, we were fortunate enough to, as students, you know, become credential members of the media because right. WFUV is not a college radio station. It's an NPR affiliate. So it's recognized as a professional radio station. There are professional, excuse me, broadcasters that work there. Some legendary New York rock and roll DJs still work at WFUV. And, um, and um, because of that, I was covering the Mets and the Yankees and the New Jersey Nets while a student, I would be in English class in the morning and be at Chase Stadium at night for a Met game. It was really, really cool. And look, we don't lose sight of how lucky and fortunate we are with with stuff like that. So I had the opportunity one spring training to go down to Tampa. I would pay my way on my spring break. I paid my way down to Tampa and I had the access to Yankee spring training. And I was able to do a one-on-one interview with Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada. And I grew up straight out of the 90s dynasty. And when, you know, it doesn't happen now, obviously, you kind of go through the ringer and you're a little bit jaded, sadly. But at at the time, I'm a, you know, 20-year-old kid, 21-year-old kid. And I have Derek Jeter looking straight into me with those, you know, those baby blue eyes. And he's talking to me and he's giving me some insight. And that's when I was like, holy crap, this is, this is happening. And talking with Jorge Posada and, and he was, you know, just as intense with his answers as you would probably expect him to be on the field. And it was terrific. Um, those stand out to me the most out of anything that I've actually done now, as I actually work for the organization. So, um, you know, I don't, 
I, I remember how starstruck I got with those two. I don't get too star starstruck anymore. I mean, I think mainly because I'm older than most of the subject that I, uh, that, you know, that I cover, I think the players on from the baseball world, if I'm kind of in a surreal position, it's some of the players that are still around that I kind of grew up watching, whether it's a Miguel Cabrera or an Albert Pujols. And I even like a Justin Verlander where I, you know, I, I was probably like 18, 19 when he broke in, but if I'm seeing them in a clubhouse or at Yankee stadium, I'm like, well, there, there they are on the flesh. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, for, for the Yankees right now, I don't want, again, I don't want to sound too jaded, but um, it, it nothing stands out to me quite like those interviews that I had while a college student with Jeter and Posada. I mean, that is the sole, I, my opinion, I think that's like the sole reason like you kind of keeps you going, right. You yeah. kind of have that, that interview with Jeter and Posada, two of the, of the guys from the core four. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, I, I can, can do this stuff for a living. And that is kind of like the push, right? Cause we all need a push in every industry to kind of keep yourself going to say, this is like a tease almost you're totally 18, 19 years old. And I had that situation in 2018. I'm 23. Yeah. I, I interviewed Mike Trout in the, in the clubhouse and I'm just like, you want more of it after that, right? You want more. You exactly. want bigger. Fight. You, you want more. And I only got yeah. three minutes with him. Yeah. And it was on radio, and I was it was the three minutes. Half of it I was blacked out because I, I was just so nervous. Yeah. And speaking of starstruck, it was him. And, and when I just saw Verlander walk by me in the in the opposing clubhouse, I was starstruck then too. So yep. I, I don't really get that starstruck either. But when you're talking about like legends totally. like this, it's just, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, my first ever interview um, for my college station, I was covering the Brooklyn Cyclones in Coney Island. Nice. And Larry King was there. I mean, maybe the best interviewer of all time. time. I see him in the dugout with, at the time, his two little children. And I'm saying to myself, I have to, I have to talk to him, right? I have to get in, get an interview, get the, get the big spot and i actually called my my boss and he's from brooklyn and he said absolutely go up to him let's go and i i i know i have that audio somewhere at my parents house but i don't think i put together a a coherent statement and (laughs) larry saw that and he still gave me gold so that was my first ever professional interview it was Larry King, probably the best interviewer of all time. I mean, I, I don't know how you go up from there. I mean, you yeah. have to like, who, who do you interview next? Like, I, I don't know, like a, a president maybe? Because Larry <laughs> King in, in our industry is yeah. the peak. Guy had like, an interview show. It was terrific. Yeah, for like 30, 40 years. Yeah, and he yeah. was, went right before he even died, he had a podcast. Yep. And he was just doing his thing, interviewing everybody. Mm-hmm. But like, see, this is the insight that I think people in industry would love to hear. And that's why I interview a lot of people like yourself. And I just had Robin Lundberg on from Sports Illustrated. I yeah. had Ruko, you know, I've had other people, but it's this kind of stories where you can see someone like yourself with so much experience, tell a vulnerable story where you were nervous yep. and you were like, <laughs> not making any sense when you're talking totally. to them. But the, the one, the one guy <laughs> that I probably would have uh, that starstruck feeling to now actually would be Troy Aikman 
because I grew up a massive Dallas Cowboys fan. They were my first love. The, I discovered the Yankees after that, but I was a massive Dallas Cowboys fan. I was kind of born into that. My family was a big, you know, became big Cowboy fans in the 70s from their success then. But Troy Aikman would be the guy who I would, because he's my favorite athlete of all time. It'd probably be him. If I met Michael Irvin, I'd probably have a similar sense. I've met Emmett Smith um, as a kid, and he kind of rubbed me the wrong way because he he ditched us for autographs. So I, I don't I hold him. In, yeah, I don't I don't hold him as high as as in the same right. standard as as Troy Aikman. Troy would be the dude, and yeah, if I ever met him, I'd probably shrink back down to like a seven year old Justin. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's a Rod. I yeah. was. I wore 13 throughout travel baseball, wore 13 in college. Batting stance was very similar. Did not hit like him, but <laughs> I had a fat head on my wall of him. So, like, that is nice. the guy for me where I'd be like, hi, Alex. Like, I just shrink down to somebody <laughs> a little child again. But forgot you, you just interviewed in the boxing world. You just interviewed Canelo Alvarez. Just yeah. He's got a big fight on May 7th. Talk about your experience in the boxing world and how is it a little different with it when it comes to baseball content? I know it's there's pressers, there's all this, you know, antics and drama that's built up from the, the, the shit talking. But when you interview a guy like Canelo, I mean, that is a well, you just talk about interviews, that's got to be up there as well. Yeah, I it's uh, it's interesting. I've come to realize I only cover the most dysfunctional sports. And and in boxing and baseball, and uh, I love it. Those are my two passions. But uh, for boxing, it's ironic. I started because of Meredith Morakovitz, and I oh. I box as a hobby, and I've been doing that for about ten years. And at some point, I said to myself, "Man, I really want to find a way." to combine the passion I have to be active in boxing with the work I do as a broadcaster, it is really tough to get started in boxing in terms of trying to know the right people at the lowest levels. It's pretty shady. You might not get paid. Um, so it's not really organized. You know, there are a bunch of promoters scattered all over the place. I didn't know how to get started and I kind of just put it on the back burner for a while. And then Meredith came up to me one day in 2019 and she didn't know any of this. She didn't know my interest in boxing. And she said, hey, did you ever, you know, would you ever consider calling boxing play by play? And internally, I'm like, how the hell do you read my mind like that? She has a friend <laughs> who is a lawyer for Debella Entertainment, which is one of the larger boxing promotions in the sport. It's not, you know, in the, you know, the top you know, the Mount Rushmore as, as it currently stands right now. But I mean, Lou DeBell is a hall of fame boxing uh, person, you know, whether it's a TV executive yeah. promoter. So I got in calling his boxing shows and I've really enjoyed that. I still do with that, that for about three years and recently matchroom boxing, which is one of the big boxing promoters out there in the sport. They now promote Canelo Alvarez um, hired me to, do some blow by blow and some hosting for them. So I'm just eating it up. And yeah, we had a Canelo press conference the other week in San Diego. And what's funny is people are asking me, like, were you nervous talking to Canelo Alvarez? Is, did it feel surreal? Were you starstruck? And my answer to them was no, uh, I, maybe I should be, but I, I wasn't I probably because of my prior work experience interviewing guys who were six, eight, 
and six, seven and CC Sabathia and Aaron judge. And those guys who are literally larger than life and also talking to the Derek cheaters and the Jorge Posadas in the past and the Yankee old timers. Those are my legends, right? Uh, Canelo is a, uh, an amazing fighter, an amazing person. Really, I hear nothing but great things about him. But I was cool, I was comfortable, and it yeah, was just uh, it was just business. It was enjoyable. Uh, but it's not something that I just throw away at the wayside and take for granted by any means. I mean, I was just talking to pound for pound king, and with that, you know that you got to bring your A game, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a really memorable experience. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of like pomp and circumstance in the boxing world that doesn't exist in most sports if you have a big fight, there are a lot of the fight week festivities that lead up to the main event. It's not just show and go on that Saturday night on that fight night. There's the, you know, the official press conference there's, then there's the official way in that, you know, there's, it's all very ceremonial. I think it's really cool. I think it builds up the drama, the storylines. It allows the fighters to meet kind of meet face to face. You have some fight week dramatics, possibly building up the narrative all the way into fight week. And it's, it's really cool. It reminds me of, you know, the old school approach, so to speak, Um, where you have, you know, old time sports, just kind of building it up. And I, I really appreciate that. So uh, it, it, you know, gives me a a spot to kind of work in an area that I'm really passionate about. That's what makes boxing so unique because it has so many things leading up to it. I mean, you guys did this press conference. We're in March and this fight is May 7th. Yep. The preparation is so big. And with Canelo and his, you know, he has a little language barrier thing. He can speak some good English, but I'm sure you've had it with interviewing some of the Yankee players that are Spanish speaking. And when you have to deal with that, even with Canelo, who has better English than kind of most Spanish speaking athletes, were was there any nerves there when it comes to the language, kind of like a language barrier? Um, there, there weren't. I would say I, I had that in my mind. I was conscious of that because I wanted to make it as simple for him as possible, but also leave some substance into the questions where he could say something in English. Um, I, I obviously think there are athletes who know how to speak English, but there are also, there's also speaking English in front of a microphone. And they're two very different things. And I don't blame them. They don't want to be misquoted. It's very important. Very important. And I give Canelo Alvarez so much credit because over the last two to three years, he has made significant strides publicly in speaking English. If you go back three years ago, he was not doing any interviews in English. He wasn't talking in English. You would never hear him. It was just, it was straight Spanish. So I give him so much credit for, for working on that. A guy who in the baseball world who really sticks out to me with that is, is Glaber Torres. When I first yeah. heard him, he was trying. I feel like where Glaber Torres was when everyone first heard about him and when he came on the map, he was probably where Canelo is now. Maybe Canelo's a little advanced, but you saw that he was intent on learning the language. And then year as the years go by, he speaks fluent English now. I'm talking about Glaber Torres in, on the microphone. So yeah, it's very impressive. It's, it's super it's, impressive. It's, yeah, and we're, we're even seeing guys like Jason Dominguez, yeah, who's 19, yeah. really practicing his English. Yeah. We have guys like Gary Sanchez, even Melky Cabrera, who don't even try. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's uh, it, it's it's envious that obviously, you know, I want to learn a second language for sure. It's something sure. that I think a lot of people say, Oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. We never get to it. 
they, they kind of have to. And I really think in terms of Canelo, this will elevate him to an even bigger level in America right. once he starts being comfortable fluently speaking English on a microphone. And it's going to happen in short order. Last thing on Canelo, and then we'll get into the John Boy and then the MLB lockout because I know we're running out of time here. Quick yes or no answer. Is Canelo going to win this fight, yes or no? I think it is a really tough fight for him, but yes, I think he finds a way to win it. He's going up in weight. I mean, he, he started, I think, at 147 pounds, 154 pounds when we first really saw him at the elite level that he's at. He's cleaned out 160. He's cleaned out 168. I don't think he's naturally 175, but I think he does enough to beat a guy in Dimitri Bivol, who's one of the best light heavyweights out there. He's going to find a way. Is he like you would think considered greatest full time at some point when it's all said and done with Canelo? I know Floyd, you know, is the epitome of you know yeah, all time great. I don't, I don't, I don't put Floyd there in terms of the the greatest of all times. I think he's probably the greatest of his era. I, I, I think Canelo has the chance to be the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. And that says a lot. And a lot of people that are, you know, Mexican hold that in real high regard, but I, you know, there's, you know, there's the, the Ray Robinson's, the Muhammad Ali's out there that I don't know if, you know, you have the same conversation with the names like Floyd Mayweather and Canelo Alvarez. I mean, he's an all-time great. Canelo sure. is an all-time great. Floyd is an all-time great. Like, I got a, a, really interested in boxing because of the defensive style that Floyd Mayweather displayed. But I think there are differences between greatest of your era and greatest of all time. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, never-ending debate. But yeah, something sure. that I do want to jump into is your tenure at John Boy Media has just begun with the podcast towing the slab with mm-hmm. David Cohen. You are the main host. David Cohen is the center of traction because David Cohen is a longtime successful pitcher, Mets, Yankees, Royals. Mm-hmm. What, who came up with the idea? I've heard rumblings. That was your, your idea came to Coney or Coney came to you. I don't, I don't really know who thought of the idea for the pod. So I wanted to start a podcast for a while, but I didn't just want to start a podcast. And I was trying to figure out how to begin. And I knew I I wanted to have a little cachet. I didn't want to do it on my own. And I thought of David Cohn. He's obviously a brilliant broadcaster. I think, and I thought about the best. Yeah. I, I do think he is the best baseball broadcaster out there. And I thought about how easily he conveys information and breaks down some new school methods and puts them into the most simplest form for the fan to digest. And I said, man, if we, if we had that on some type of platform regularly, I think it would gain a lot of attention. And I, the, the pitching centric idea, cause everyone has a baseball, bro. Everyone has a podcast and there are a ton of baseball broadcasts, uh, podcasts out there. So how do you make yourself different? Like, man, pitching centric podcast. Perfect. I don't know anybody else that does that. Yeah. I, and I, it was the type of thing where I had the idea and kind of dragged for a while. And I'm like, man, I don't want to tell too many people about it because then the word gets out, whatever. But sure. 
it was the type of thing where I went to David with it. And if he said no, I thought the idea died on the vine because there was no other person that I can just insert into David's place. So before going to him, I was nervous because I'm like, all right, this, I mean, either this happens or it doesn't. And David was really receptive to the idea. He was saying that he and James Smythe, who's on our show and is an amazing researcher and gives a terrific amount of insight as, a, as another host. And he said that him and James, who worked together at Yes, they were always talking about a podcast. So that's where the idea of bringing James in happened. Right. And at, from there, when we decided, yes, we we're going to do it. Yes, we need to be consistent with it. Yes, we want to cater to a younger audience, which place provides us the best opportunity to succeed right out of the gate and have fun with it and engage with a young audience always in mind. And everyone's first answer was, boom, John Boy Media. And obviously they, they liked the idea enough to have us come on and join their platform. And it's so much fun. It really is. It's, it's incredible watching how a whole company of young people just operate and get shit done. And it's, it's, you know, I've, I've been a lot of places and it's impressive to see how organized and how productive they can get things done in short order. And I think it's just going to keep growing and growing and we couldn't be happier being with John Boy Media. I think John Boy Media in like 10 years is going to be competing with some of the big mega media outlets because I think the purity of how um, how much they love the game of baseball, and I think they're going to be growing more because I know there's talking, there's basketball, there's there's basketball content, and they're moving towards other things. But their baseball content is, I think it's the best in, in the game. I think they do a, lot, a better job of it than the ESPN does. MLB Network, of course, is the leader, of course. But when Jabba Media, you get a a, a great understanding of what it likes to see a diehard fan of said team give their input on a mm -hmm. daily basis talking yanks they have over 700 episodes talking about every single solitary day about the yankees and also baseball as well and i just watched the recent episode they're talking about prospects that were hyped up and they were like callers were calling in and talking about remember guys like you know um, I'm like blanking now, like um, Jabba Chamberlain. And they were talking about the, his career. Like that is the inside baseball stuff that people love. If like the diehard baseball fans, but then they're bringing in other baseball fans, including guys that fans alike love about pitching. And that's why your, your podcast with, with Cohen and James is so unique. You guys have had Maddox, Wainwright, Corbin Burns, um, around Joe Torrey, Pitching yeah. Ninja, which is great. But my favorite one is with Maddox and talking about a story that I've never heard of, that he was just about to sign with the Yankees and somebody within the organization that was a part of trying to make the deal had a heart attack and the deal never happened. And then he flew back and then he got, you know, I think it was through, through I think he flew back to Vegas, right? And then he got signed yeah. by the Braves, not, you know, not too later. I mean, but this is why I love this podcast and John Boy in general, because they get the best, the best to come in and dive in and all, all these great stories. Yeah. The funny thing about that Maddox story, 
I pride myself on when it comes to the Yankees, I, I feel like I have a deep grasp of their history because it's something I love. Like I, I, I love where the game's going and I, I really do enjoy quantitative analysis and how that's going to tell a story of how the game's being played today. Like we're not going back. We're only going forward. So if you're not adjusting or adapting, I'm sorry, but the game's going to leave you in the dust, but I really enjoy the the history of this organization. So I feel like I know, a, a decent amount and man for the life of me i could never recall who at the top of the yankees food chain back in 1992 suffered a heart attack and i was talking to people who covered the team then and none of them said i i, I don't know if that's entirely true not only that because if if it is true well, uh, well, what happened after after maddox decided to sign with the braves days later they went out and signed jimmy key so the person who suffered a heart attack automatically, you know, uh, uh, recovered enough to give Jimmy Key a multi-year contract. Something about that didn't make sense. I wasn't going to question him. Also, Greg didn't sound like that was entirely the reason why right. it didn't happen. And let's be honest, from that interview, from the other tall tale legends that you hear about Greg Maddox, dude has a sick sense of humor. And I don't know if he was acting all that out just you know then and there on our podcast if he did he has a he has a phenomenal acting ability but uh he he was he was definitely one of my favorite guests that we've had so far glavin was another i think my favorite guests are the the older guys who are probably at that hall of fame level because those are the guys that i grew up watching but man i've been so fortunate to have some of these guests on we're gonna have some you know current we obviously have some younger pitchers on we've had josiah gray on we've had we're gonna have a couple of younger pitchers who have really high ceilings that are that are coming on very soon and i love the range of guests that we have so it's been so much fun and it's a great way to kind of stay involved with with what's going on in the game right now i think that's the really cool part about john boy media too this lockout stinks but i'll tell you what we're we're never gonna stop bringing out quality baseball content and the one thing that separates us from some other places that may have contractual ties with major league baseball players association and right now they can't show images or have players on we can do whatever we want so i think that really gives us a leg up in a scenario like this and even when the games resume we're going to, you know, we're still going to bring great content. So it's been so much fun. Yeah. I think that is also very important when it comes to the lockout is that you're giving current and even former players a voice to not only talk about their game and what they Mm -hmm. used to do, what they current do, but they're going to voice their opinion on how much this sucks where other outlets might not allow them to speak freely where it's, you want to have like the most professional quotes but people are going to want to say an F-bomb or two and really give their feeling like this fucking sucks and I want to go play my game. I want to get paid and I want the fans to enjoy the game. White Whale guest. Who's the guy that you three really, really want on the podcast? Is it Randy Johnson? Is it Scherzer? Is it, you know, Roger Clemens? Is it, who, who would that be? For me, I can't speak for David or James. And I know we would probably all have different answers for me. It would probably be Roger Clemens. And it's kind of cool to think that probably not too many degrees away from getting someone like that. Cause I mean, he was a former teammate of David's. I haven't pressed on it yet, but I just remember 
going to the old Yankee stadium as a kid and for whatever reason, luck of the draw, right? Like whenever I would go, odds are Roger Clemens was making a start. And it got to the point where I was saying to myself, man, like I'm getting kind of tired having Roger Clemens start every game that I'm going to. I want to see Andy Pettit. I want to see, you know, Mike Messina. I want to see more David Wells. David Wells was my dude growing up because I went to his perfect game. So I'm he's one of my favorite pitchers oh, nice. of all time. And I would go to these games though, and, and it would be the rocket on the mound. And, uh, you know, at, at the time you kind of take it for granted, but now I feel like so, so incredibly blessed that Roger Clemens was look, the best pitcher that I've ever seen with my two eyes. Pedro's right oh, up there. Randy Johnson's yeah. right up there for me. It's Roger Clemens. And I want him on our show. Eventually he is definitely my shoot for the stars guy. But in terms of someone that is a little bit older, uh, Nolan Ryan, for sure. But but I think those are the two two Texas guys. I wanna I wanna have them both on at some point. Now, if if I was in your shoes and I had the ability to interview Roger, which I have his email on my whiteboard right now, it's somebody I want to just just shoot the email out because yeah. I do it all the time. I'll just shoot an email and say, "Hey, we'd love to have you on." Whatever. I, I think something that would draw a ton of people in is Hall of Fame discussion stuff. And yeah, for sure. Talking about hey. I know you tweeted that you're not mad about yeah. it. We all know you're pissed. Like, yeah. I, I, that's what I think. I mean, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. We can go down that road forever. I'll tell you what, something, one other part about Roger Clemens. I think he's larger than life to the current players who are in Major League Baseball because really? there was a season not too long ago, maybe it was 2018, 2019, where the Yankees post game clubhouse access was open for media members and everyone this was before COVID, obviously and there would be the usual media scrums around certain player lockers and i forget which player we were waiting uh waiting for to come out and we were kind of circled around his locker but all of a sudden out of the back door roger clemens just walks through the yankees clubhouse That's... to go out the other way and it was as if we were all watching, I don't want to say a ghost go by, but it was as if we were just watching like a, a, like a unicorn. It's just, just aura, right? Through. It was yeah, like this aura around and that's and, just like. Yeah. And it, that took over all the media members. It took through some of the players that were actually still in the clubhouse at that point. I don't know how many people knew he was there. Obviously, some people knew. We didn't know that he was there that night. And he just kind of That's walked so through. He greeted a couple of people who, um, I guess he knew. Maybe it was security. Maybe it was clubhouse staff, whatever it was. But I think I think that says a lot about Roger Clemens. And, and he's certainly a guy who I always felt like it was larger than life, whether it's the stories you hear about him carrying his, you know, his kind of like his briefcase full of pitching equipment, as a player, I know players would get amped up when they saw that because it was time to work. It was time to try and match his level of compete that given day. And you just wanted to go out there to not kind of disappoint him or bring down his game. And I think the same thing when he walked through that clubhouse, it was as if like, my gosh, there's a unicorn, a baseball unicorn. A living legend. And I yeah. think that goes back to our conversation before about mm -hmm. starstruck and 
Like when I saw Trout, I waited like two hours for him to come. Three yeah. three days, and then the third day, I waited two hours for him to come. He hit the second bus, and when he walked by me, it you had the regular, you know, Angels reporters, the beat reporters, like you know, travel with the team. Yeah, they're still looking at him like, holy shit! Like, is this the greatest player of all time? Just strolling in with the briefcase and strolling in with the backpack, totally. whatever. And I think that's the cool purity of us as media members. <laughs> We still have that little fan in us that gets like all giddy. And I'm sure that's what, what you mean by when Clemens walked in. It was yeah. like this weird aura around him. Yeah. As soon as that little slice that you should probably keep in your back pocket and and not obviously bring out all the time, but as soon as that it's a weird balance. As soon as that right. kind of leaves you, you know, in my opinion, maybe it's time to go figure out how to do something else because there's all, all of us have the same reason why we wanted to get involved in this game, in any capacity we're in, whether you're a grounds crew member, whether you're a ticket executive, whether you're a broadcaster, whether you're an usher, you all wanted to get involved with this because you love baseball. You at least have an interest in baseball. Exactly. And if that ever leaves you, you know, it's probably time to do something else. Don't lose sight of that. Don't ever forget why you got started. Yankees. There's a lot of free agents out there. The Yankees looking for a first baseman, shortstop. Of course, they would like any kind of arm. What free agent right now would you like to see in pinstripes coming up in 2022? Free agent position players. I would probably be in the minority, but I would like if, if it had it my way. And look, I think they should, you know, there's there's room for both for sure, but I think that's unrealistic. I would rather have them sign someone like Freddie Freeman, get a stopgap at shortstop and wait for a Volpe or a Peraza to potentially materialize. I think Freddie Freeman is a perfect fit on a six-year deal for the Yankees, so that's what I would prefer to see. Yeah, I think either Freeman or, or Correa would – be a nice fit. Yeah. Correa seems like the ultimate villain that the Yankee, the Yankee fans would surround themselves around him because he's almost like this A-Rod level of hatred back when A-Rod first started and then when the A-Rod made like 20 errors in the month of August. Yeah. God, that was so heartbreaking for A-Rod guy. But that's what I, I would look at the Correa outlook. But I like Freeman more with veteran status, likable guy, awesome glove. Yeah. And without short porch and right, I mean, that's 35 easy, 35 home runs easy. More than anything else, I think they need to get rid of as many three true outcome hitters as possible. I don't think you can do that in a shortened time period like this, but I think they need to start ridding themselves as much of that type of hitter as, as possible. Well, Justin, you came out here a lot longer than you, you said you would be, and I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, just give me a shout out of what we need to follow from you. We need to listen from you. The floor is yours. Sure. If you want to follow me, my platform is really simple. It's my full name, Justin Shackle, S-H-A-C-K-I-L. And then the podcast, Tone the Slab, where can we listen Tone to? Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. We release it every Tuesday. Uh, and you can get it on any podcast platform. There's a YouTube stream as well. So it's, uh, it's not hard to find. And we appreciate you tuning in. Shackle, thank you so much. We'd love to have you back on. And everyone go listen to this stuff. He's awesome. Very good guy. Thanks for coming on. Anytime, Taylor, man. And looking forward to catching you up on, on places like Clubhouse when we actually have baseball. Can't wait.
Sending all the friends, have some I know attracts. Cause all these hoes know what's about to 